So I'm talking about the Father's house and the way to it. And again, some of us recall that Jesus, and here's the setting, in the upper room. Soon he's, he knows he's about to be betrayed. So we're going before, behind the cross, but like be right, what happened right before it. Um, he's sitting in this room with what is now a pretty, I, I guess if we were looking at it purely from a human perspective, it was kind of sad because the followers of Jesus had been sort of distilled down to a collective group of shaken men who were sitting around the table with Jesus trying to celebrate what is known now as the Last Supper. And it was in the context of things as it appeared that they were melting down in a very hopeless direction. There was genuine fear that they had, that everything that Jesus had been talking about and alluding to that now everything seemed to be going in a very bad direction. And it was with that in mind that, you know, Jesus started talking about, and it was, again, compounded by the fact that he started talking about how he was going to be going and how they would not really be able to be together in the way that they had been and that he was going to be leaving them. And he was also talking ominously about things like how the Son of Man is going to be crucified and he, he's going to die. He's talking about himself. He was also saying he would rise, but it was really hard to understand. And they were really shaken by it. And then, of course, when Jesus said, I'm going, Peter made that statement. Well, why can't I go with you? I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus, and, you know, again, I asked them if they could put that up in, in John. It says this in John um, 13, 36. Lord, where are you going? And he, he basically, Jesus replies, well, where I'm going, you can't go. You'll follow me later, but where I'm going, I'm going alone. And no one's going to be able to go with me. And that's when Peter says, well, why can't I? And, that, and it, what it ends up resulting, and I'm not going to go through it all again, but it ends up resulting in Jesus saying, not only are you not going to be able to go with me, you're going to utterly deny me. In fact, you're going to emphatically break with me. Not just once, not just twice, three times. Before, the, before actually the new day arises, and the flush of the eastern sky and the rooster crows ushering in the new day. You are going to completely break with me. And I know that. And the disciples were very shaken. And it was with, on the heels of that statement that John 14 opens up. And let's read this together. It says that Jesus then turned to his disciples and he said this. I'm just going to read it through because it provides us, again, with the context that are in this room. It's dimly lit. He's talking to them. And he, watch how he, he pushes into the bigness of God. Watch how he talks about the Father's house. Watch how he, he tells us that God has a vast universe far beyond just what we know. And that this is just one part of the Father's house. And that Jesus is saying he's going to be going to another part of the Father's house to prepare a place for us to go that this is all part of a larger, a larger thing that God is doing. And, and so watch, watch what he says. He says, let not, he tells them, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You need, if there was ever a time, you need to believe in me right now. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places, many living spaces, we would say. 
And if it, there are many rooms in his house. If it were not so, I would have told you. In fact, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then he said, um, that, that uh, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, I'm looking at these words, right? And what Jesus is essentially saying is, look, I want you to understand this. I know it's like he's saying this. I know it looks bad right now. I know you're troubled. I know you're scared. And he said, but to be truthful, it's even going to get worse. He can see it coming. But he says, but I want you to remember this. This is part of a larger thing that God is doing. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that there is so much more than just this world. And he makes it clear, and if it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, if, if this was all there was, I would make that very clear. He goes, but there is, this is, there's so much more. So in that moment, Jesus invites us to, to open up ourselves to the future life. And then he says, you know what, I'm leaving. So you see three things there. I'm going, I'm going to prepare, and I'm going to come back. I'm going to leave this world as you know it. And he's talking about his resurrection. There's so much included in the going. I'm going through the cross. I'm going to rise. I'm going to ultimately ascend. In fact, 40 days, they wouldn't see him anymore in this life. But I'm going to come back again. He, he starts talking about how he's going to prepare a place and, and how if heaven, at least in part, we can, you know, Jesus didn't talk a lot about heaven, actually, the details. He, he just alluded to it as an absolute reality, as he did, let's be clear, also with hell. And he talked a lot about how the world to come is very different than our present world. And someday there will even be a new, a new heaven and a new earth, he says. But he says, in the meantime, I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to another place in my father's house. And I'm going to be actively creating something. So the creator is saying, essentially, and what, if heaven is nothing else, it is a place of active creation. And he says, I'm going to prepare this place for you, that where I am, you may also come. And I will come again. That has so many meanings. People have pondered those words. What does he mean when he says, I'm going to come again? Well, clearly, it was a direct reference to his second coming. He talked about that a lot, about how he'd come with a new heaven and a new earth. But it also, he also said, I'm going to come to you um, after my death and resurrection. I'm going to meet you at your death when you leave this world. I'm, I'm also going to come to you during this life in spirit. I will not leave you comfortless. The Holy Spirit will come to you. Many things were alluded to there. But look what he says. And then he makes this statement. He's talking to them in these words. And he says in that fourth verse, he says, and where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. And again, the disciples are in the room. And Jesus is saying these words. And Thomas, who later on is going to be given the unfortunate designation as doubting Thomas, because he's going to doubt the Lord's resurrection. He's going to later on, he misses the moment when Jesus appears after his death, and he basically says, you know, unless I see his hands, unless I put my finger into his side, I'm not going to believe it. I know you want to believe this. I know you believe that you believe that you saw him, but unless I actually can touch him, it's just, I don't believe. And there is this moment. So he's going to be later on. That's going to happen to him later on. But in this moment, he basically, as Jesus is talking, he hears Jesus say, and the way you go, the way, look at it, verse, he said, I, he basically, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas goes, um, actually, we don't know where you're going. 
and we don't know the way. What are you talking about, Lord? This makes no, we don't, we do not, it's like he interrupts Jesus and he says, basically, actually, we don't really understand what you're talking about right now. And some people have called him, you know, I think it was the commentator G. Campbell Morgan called him Thomas the Magnificent because he, he was a person who had a tendency to not just go along. If he didn't understand, he said it. Others have said he was, I've heard, read other writers who said, you know, if you study Thomas's life, you realize that he was prone to negativity. Um, I, in fact, I heard one person say that he was morbidly melancholy <laughs> and disposed to the bleakest possible view of things. They said he was basically a practical pessimist, but morbidly melancholy, like always what's wrong with something. And I, I find that on these two extremes, whatever one's opinion of Thomas is, Again, he was not someone to pretend to have something that he did not possess. That's pretty clear. And it comes up again and again and again. Here it is. Later on, it's going to come up after the resurrection when he says, I won't believe it. Now, but in this moment, he's saying, he's, Jesus is talking and he says, you know the way. You know where I'm going. You know the way. And he says, you know, actually, we, we don't know, Lord. So whatever we feel about his statement, one thing we know, he, he sets up what turns out to be one of the most amazing statements of Jesus that is ever recorded. It is a result of Thomas's honest question that he was wrestling with what Jesus was saying and he wasn't afraid to say, I don't get it. And again, it's a reminder to me that we come to, the, in to, to, to Jesus, it's okay to have our own unique dispositions. I look at that band that followed him there's a lot of different types of personalities. There's room in the kingdom, even for honest doubters, to find their way and wrestle with things. That's okay, too. That's one of the things that I see in Thomas that I love, because it was Thomas's question that actually, that actually allowed Jesus to make the statement in that sixth verse that is stunning, astonishing, particularly when we look at the context in which it was given. For it was to Thomas' statement when Thomas says, we don't know the way, we don't know where you're going, so how are we gonna know the way to get there? We don't even know where you're going. And Jesus said this, look at it. I, Thomas, Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one can come to the Father's house, Father God, except through me. Do you understand this, Thomas? Now, think about what's happening. First off, we're struck by a lot of things here, but not the least of which is we owe this astonishing claim to the honest question of one of Jesus' disciples. But even more so, did you see, do we see its exclusivity? Do we realize that Jesus was declaring in that moment that he was the only true way to God in heaven? That that, that what a statement that is, and he does it without qualification and without ambiguity. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way, Thomas? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you want to know God, if you want to get to God, you come through me. Now, in that moment, as I looked at it, I said, oh, my goodness. And we stopped to think about how incredible that claim was. Because here is Jesus saying this on the day before the cross, which is going to look like a total dead end. And it's as if he's saying, look, in this moment, when everything looks like it's falling apart, he's saying, look, do you understand that all the great questions of life, both now and yet to come, now and yet to come, are answered in me? Thomas, I'm telling you that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. 
and you cannot get to where I'm going. If you want to know where I'm going, you cannot get to where I'm going, the Father's house, except through me. And again, it's incredible when we think about what's happening. Think about where he is. Think about what's about to happen. Do you understand? We, I think we understand this. He's either absolutely deluded, and we would have to say insane to make this claim. I mean, people who, if, he, if he's making this claim and he isn't who he says he is, he, he is essentially someone who is speaking either a lie or he really believes it and it isn't true, in which case we have to question everything that Jesus taught us because he told us to be truth tellers. His words have such power and meaning and are life altering. They bring such health to people. And yet at the same time, to make this statement, it is incredible. He really was drawing a line in the sand in this moment. It's stunning when you think about it. And again, one of the things that we're reminded of, it's, an art, it's, a, it's something that has been submitted now for generations, is that one, the one option Jesus doesn't give us is that, oh, he was just a good man and a good teacher. Because you cannot be a good man and a good teacher and make the claim that he just made. You either are gravely mistaken, almost like a, we would call someone who makes that kind of claim to be the way to God. Like, that's like cult stuff. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's what people do who are who deluded. So think about it. He makes the statement. He is either who he said he was, and that changes everything, or he wasn't. But one thing he cannot be is simply a good teacher who is a nice man. He did not give us that option. Now, I look, look what happens next. Because the 11 are shaken. They're, they're confused. There's no doubt about it. They, they're afraid. They're not getting what Jesus is saying. And, he, and he's basically saying, look, the key, I know what I'm talking about doesn't totally make sense to you. But the key, it, the key to everything is, Thomas, the key to everything is remembering who I am. And... Watch, watch what happens in verse 7. He says, look, if you had known me, if you, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. And Jesus was about to keep going and all of a sudden another hand goes up. <laughs> Philip says, oh, you know, Lord, um, you're talking about the father? You know what? What you've been saying is a little confusing to us. If you would show us the Father, then that would take care of everything, right? We will be really satisfied. If you were right now, you've been talking about, can you show us the Father? If you could do that, then it will, it will calm us down a lot, and it will erase a lot of the confusion we have right now because we're not understanding what you're saying. So could you do that? I mean, look, at, it's what he says. Can you show us the Father? That will satisfy us. Yeah. That will, that will make everything clear up. Just show us God. And that's, look what Jesus says. Philip. Philip. Look, have I been with you so long? I imagine in this moment Jesus stops. And he says, how long have we been together, Philip? All this time. Don't you understand? 
that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So why are you saying, show us the Father? You surely have seen God in me, through me. Do you know who, what, who I am and what I have? Come, come on, Philip. It's almost like he's, as he's talking to him in this moment, right? This, and, he, and Philip's request is so innocent, it's earnest, but it's also frustrating that what basically Jesus is getting at is that, look, I, I have been with you this entire time, and how could you not know me after all the time that we have spent together? To, to see me is to see the Father. You don't need to get to where I'm going to find him because he can be found in me. Again, it, it was an, an astonishing claim that to experience Jesus is to experience God. And honestly, we must either break with him here because what he's saying, show us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I reveal him. And at that moment, you know what? We either must break with Jesus and say, well, I don't, I, that's too much for me, or we bow to him. We either have to walk away and say, you know what? That's a claim I can't, I can't accept. But we need to submit our way to him. It's, it's really that clear. And as I was sitting with this, I was thinking about it, because he, he basically says, look, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it a little bit further. And just kinda, I'm going to put a couple of things up for us to think about, because this is the way I process through it. But I want to suggest that Jesus invites us, firstly, to accept him for who he claimed to be. That to accept him as the only begotten Son of God, as the revealer of the Father, as the way, the truth, and the life, as he said he was. That basically what Jesus has said is that the future depends on what we do with him in the present. Probably the most commonly quoted saying of Jesus of all time is John 3.16. Look at it. For God so loved this world that he, think, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Death will not be the final word but have everlasting life, life now and yet to come, life overflowing and everlasting, life in its fullest. It's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary claim. What he's saying is to, not, to, to have him is to have life and to reject him is to miss life. That there is something that is right there. It's like the Lord brings us to the fork in the road moment. And he says, I'm, the option of not deciding is not there. There, we get to this point where we say, well, who is Jesus? Is he someone who's mistaken about what he said he was and claimed to be? Or is he who he said he was? Because what he was saying was, all of this is designed to get us to God. It's designed to give us life. Even what I'm about to endure is designed to be a bridge. It's going to change everything. It's designed to change the entire human equation. What Jesus is saying is, I know this looks like a defeat, a dead end, but it is only the beginning of a movement that God is doing that changes everything. Do you understand? That's what he's telling them, basically. Do you understand? Well, we don't understand. We don't get it. Then look at me. Watch what I'm about to do. That's what he's saying. It's powerful. It's profound. In Romans 6, 23, we're told that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He offers life now and yet to be. Again, he says 
that we get to decide. And I looked at that and I said, Lord, remind me of this because not only are you telling us that we have this opportunity to, to decide who you will be, because at the end of the day, we must decide, Lord, I receive you, I confess you, I accept you for who you are as the way, or I don't. And if we do, I'll say this as well, when we choose to bow our knee to him, then we are invited, secondly, to embrace a promise of life, of place, right, and of purpose beyond death. This is huge. I, I hope I can convey, and I probably can't do it adequately, how what Jesus is saying is designed to impact us. Because what he's saying is, this is not all there is. And what you do with me directly determines what is yet to be for you. Now, there's a lot of times that people will say around us, and I hear these voices all the time, you know, life is basically meaningless, futile and vain. Um, it's only to be experienced as probably a temporary whatever. Because this is all there is. Those voices are there. And those voices come up against the voice of Jesus, and we get to decide. Because we you know what Jesus is saying? Our life matters. He really says it. Again, if it were not so, I would tell you. I would not lie to you on this. The fact that Jesus would even say that again is amazing to me. The fact that he would even have to, to reemphasize, I would not mislead you on this. Is it, again, I know you wouldn't, Lord. But he says it because he knows he can see it in their eyes. They, they, it's, I, there is more, but, but Lord, what are you talking about? It's almost like he gets it. And the Lord is inviting us to imagine something, a, a better thing, a, 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 like to believe his promises, to, to embrace the longing that's inside of every one of us for real home. I mean, there is something in us that longs to live beyond this life. There is um, like a, something built into our, our DNA that desires more. Um, I know when we're younger, maybe it's not as profound, although there were times when I was a, but a young man in high school, I, I remember thinking, reading the book of Ecclesiastes and thinking, Lord, all of this is meaningless, vain, and will pass away. I take nothing with me. I remember thinking, Lord, even my life will be like a, like a tale that is told. Help me to remember that my finiteness in this life is designed to remind me to look to you. Do you understand that honestly turning to God and even praying and listening for him is as natural to our spirit as breathing is to our body? That we were created to yearn for God. That's what Jesus taught us. That it, at, its, at our core, we were made for our creator. And there are times when we are in the midst of his beauty, the beauty of his creation, that our souls are moved, deeply moved. And it's part of, think about, think about what Jesus is saying, that there's a part of us that longs for home, that there's a part of us that longs, that he's, oh, you know what Jesus is basically saying? This life is basically a prelude to real life. And I get why the disciples would struggle so hard, because this is the only reality I know right here. And he's saying, but there's so much more. 
And, and I think about that sometimes, how it affects us, because some of us, we've suffered, and we're suffering. And the promise of Jesus is that we'll come to an end. Some of us long for, you know, our bodies will fade away. They cannot last forever. This tent is temporal. All that I love here will be left behind. Jesus taught us this. Do not be deluded. But he, but he made it, he took it further. He said, but don't ever be deluded by thinking this is all there is. That, that is a big deal. Here's why. Because even as we are invited to accept Jesus as he is, even as there's a part of us that longs for renewal and new beginning, how good will that be? Here's the key. And as I see it, we are, this is that third piece, we are invited to let that promise of that future life impact our present life with a radical degree of hopefulness that allows us to endure anything and abound in hope. I hope we can appreciate this at some level because we have a promise beyond this life. Our future is like, for everyone who will follow him, Jesus says, your future is bright. Now someone said, you know what? That's like, come on now. You know, that's like too good to be true stuff. But that is what he is inviting us to believe. I go to prepare a place for you. Now here's the thing. If, what was he getting at? He wasn't saying, okay, so just like now live as if, you know, this world doesn't matter at all. And then just like, have, it's all about heaven. He didn't say, he, he, what he was reminding us to do is never forget that you are anchored in hope. A hope that I am securing for you in what I am about to do. That the, what I'm about to do is going to change everything. And that you are to live always with an understanding that you are anchored in a hope that transcends anything that this life will throw your way. Because remember how that chapter began? Let not your heart be troubled. Do not, do not be bound up in, a cup, in fear. Because here's why. If all we think of is this is all I have, this life, then things can be shaken Things can be taken. I can begin to get very reckless because if this is all there is, I've got I've to take care of myself. I, I'm going to make the move. I'm, I'm going I'm to do reckless things. And, and if people get hurt. Well, that, that's, that happens sometimes. But this is my life. This is all I have. And, and so what I'll do is sometimes we'll say, you know what? If this is all there is, then I've got, I, I, I got to take care of me. Well, a lot of people are going to get hurt. I can't help that. i got to take care of me. What Jesus is reminding us to do is when we actually see ourselves as a people with a future that is anchored in him, it affects how we architect our lives. It affects the decisions we make. It affects the way we keep our commitments. It affects the way we endure suffering. It affects the way that we actually see the big picture, that this is not all there is. Do, you, do we see why it actually is such a huge issue to allow the future promise to affect our present reality? Because in this life, we will get to places where if this is all there is, then we're going to take, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to sometimes throw caution to the wind. And I am contending by faith to believe the promise of Jesus, that this is not the end of the story and allow that promise to affect the way we choose to confront things in our own life, the way we choose to honor our love. 
the way we choose to keep our commitments, the way we choose to think about generations that are going to be impacted or people who are affected by how we seek to represent the Lord, that it matters. When we actually think of this as, I, it's not just about getting what I can grab here in this life and clutching to what is only going to be here. It's about actually having a much bigger picture about what life really is. That's part of what Jesus was inviting us to do. When we see that, it will save us in critical moments when we are tempted to really get off track. God will pull us back in and say, do not live as one who only sees this life as all there is. Challenge that. Believe in God. Believe in me. And believe in what I'm saying. That is a powerful truth when it, it affects us, when we let it come into our life. It changes things. It really does. You see how it's not just a crutch. It's not just like a, oh, he heaven, how great that would be. But we never really let it affect our life. No, it is designed to affect our life in the present because we see ourselves in a future place with him. It changes how I live in the present life for him. That's a big deal. I'm going to pray, okay? <laughs> Lord, I, I thank you because all of us inevitably, maybe sometimes the older of, among us, we walk through pain and disappointment sometimes and we begin to see things that we've always counted on. It, sometimes it could be fearful for us. Um, sometimes we panic in our loneliness. Sometimes, Lord, we buy into the lie of our culture that tells us that you've got to take care of yourself at all costs. It doesn't really matter who gets hurt along the way because it's about me. At some level, Lord, we are to challenge that and to allow this sense of where we're going to just be a sure anchor for our soul. And that will hold us in the places when part of us wants to run or give in to our discouragements, um, to react out of our pain, to begin to despair, perhaps. But this promise that extends beyond time is meant to be embraced and brought into the present. And I pray that you would, by your grace, do that in us. Wherever we are in life, I just pray that you would remind us that we are on a journey and this life is just the beginning of it. There are other places in the Father's house and we're on our way there. Help us to believe. Help thou my unbelief. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen.